You're listening to sermon audio from The Shore Church, located in North Vancouver. For more information about The Shore, head to www.theshorechurch.ca. I'm reading from Ecclesiastes 2, verses 24 to 26. There is nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also, I saw, is from the hand of God. For apart from him, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? For to the one who pleases him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy. But to the sinner, he has given the business of gathering and collecting, only to give to one who pleases God. This also is vanity and striving after the wind. This is the word of God. Thanks, Eleanor. All right, well, good morning. Morning. Uh, My name is Jordan. Uh, We are in the middle of our series on the book of Ecclesiastes. So naturally, if you have your Bibles, open them up to Hebrews chapter 3. Yes, I'm serious. Hebrews 3. We'll get to Ecclesiastes shortly. I want to say I missed you guys last week. I was away at the, the youth work weekend and retreat at Keats Camps. It was an amazing time. We had a lot of fun. I'm very much still recovering from that. You can maybe hear it in my voice a little bit. My body's still recovering. Uh, it was a lot of fun, but honestly, I, I was so happy to get home after it, you know? Not, not that I didn't have a good time. I, at this point in my life, I can only handle being in a cabin full of teenage boys for so long. You know, there, there's like a lot of really interesting smells and uh, interesting discussion that just made me happy to get home. Okay, I had a great time, don't get me wrong. And, and I remember when I walked home on Monday afternoon, I just walked into my apartment and it was just bright, it was beautiful, I gave my wife a hug, I grabbed my baby, and I do this thing with him where I put his little cheek against my nose and I just go, and it just smells so good. Like it just makes me feel so good. You know, if you want, I'll I'll charge you $5 a pop, you can come by. It just makes me feel so good. There's something about that, like the endorphins that get going. And so I held my baby and I went over to our, um, if you've ever been to our place, we have an unnecessarily large couch. I went over to that and there's this like indented Jordan spot on it. And I just like collapsed back, put my feet up and I just fit in there perfectly, probably because, you know, Two weeks ago, there was five game sevens in one weekend, and I may have watched every single one of them. And so there's this perfect Jordan indent, and I just sat there, and I was like, oh, it's good to be home. And it got me thinking about this this text in Hebrews 3 that really talks about a home and a place of rest for our souls that God is inviting us into. And what I want to do this morning is I want to lay this idea on top of what we've already learned in Ecclesiastes and what our text is going to say this morning. And so let's get into it. You'll you'll figure out where we're going here shortly. So Hebrews 3, starting in verse 7. It says, therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, so basically the writer of Hebrews is quoting directly from the Bible. He's quoting directly from Psalm 95 as he tells this story. He says, today... If you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart 
and they have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. So what the writer of Hebrews is referring to here is really the story of the Old Testament. And he's comparing that story with the same thing that occurs today and what I see as direct relation to what we're hearing in Ecclesiastes. And so what I want to do to start before we get into Ecclesiastes is talk that story, then I want to lay it on top of our Ecclesiastes text, all right? And I'm going to give a real condensed version of this, but you can read more about it in the book of Numbers, particularly starting in chapter 13. But the short of it is that Egypt has Israel, God's people, in slavery. And Moses comes and he leads them out of slavery. The Egyptian army is destroyed at the hand of God, and the Israelites break out of slavery, and they venture through the Red Sea. God actually split open the Red Sea, and they walked through it to freedom. They trek through the wilderness until they finally make it right to the borders of the promised land. This is a land which God has set before them as a place that they could finally rest, and a place that they could finally kick back and call home. God had promised them for years that I have this land for you flowing of milk and honey, and that symbolizes life and nourishment, both physically and spiritually. And God's saying, this land is for you. This land of rest, this land of satisfaction, and I'm going to give it to you, and I'm going to be with you as you go and take it. And so they get right up to the border, and there's a river there, and so they send in 12 spies to go check it out. The 12 spies come back, and two of them are like, it's beautiful, it's perfect, God's with us, we can take this land. And the other 10 are like, it's nice, but I don't know if we can take it. The guys over there, the army, it looks really strong, and they look really physically tall. Like, that was a real thing they said. And not to mention, there's this raging river that I'm not sure we can get through. And so God's got to be like, like, what? Like, do you remember when I destroyed the entire Egyptian army? Like, I think I could handle some guys who are a little bit taller and stronger. So thinking about that, like height was really an issue. And it's kind of silly, and it makes me think personally about some of the silly things that we use as excuses for not entering into the rest that God has for us. And then they're like, well, there's this raging river in front of the promised land. I don't know if we can get through that. And God's got to be like, river? Like, you walk through the Red Sea. I think I can handle this river. And so God says, okay, I'm offering you rest. I'm offering you satisfaction that you've been searching for. But you seem to think you know what's best for yourself. So I'll let you decide. And they decide to turn around and wander and find their own rest. And it's really the same choice that so many make today. And you know what I find really incredible is that even after his people say no thank you and turn around and wander the desert, 
God still blesses them in really beautiful ways. Even in the desert, even in their disobedience, God loves them and cares for them. Like when they're out wandering, the scriptures say that when they get hungry, bread just appears for them. And birds fall out of the sky for them to eat. And when they get thirsty, Moses just hits a rock with his staff and water flows out of it for them. God provides in really beautiful ways, even in their disobedience, but they can't see that it's from God. And so God has invited them into this rest. He's invited them to come home. He's invited them into satisfaction, to sit back and kick their feet up. But instead they say, no, I'm going to go pursue what I think will make me happy. And even in that wandering, God provides for them, but they can't see it. And as they're wandering, they grumble and complain. Can you imagine that, church people grumbling and complaining? Never. They're in this really weird place where they refuse to put their trust in God. They refuse obedience. And at the same time, God continues to watch over them and bless them. And their hearts have grown so hard that they can't even see that it's God who happens to be blessing them even in their disobedience. It's a really tough place to be. And this is the story that Hebrews 3 talks about when it talks about home and rest, and it's really an answer to the experiment and dilemma that Ecclesiastes has been exploring of how we really experience true satisfaction. And really, this story plays itself out again and again throughout the generations. And in Hebrews, it challenges us. That very first line in uh, chapter 3, verse 7, he says, Today... If you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Today, if you hear his voice, will you follow it and enter into his rest? And so the implications of that today is that right now, this morning, sure, if God is asking of you, if you feel a deep pressing within your soul or a conviction within you saying, hey, I really need to get help for this thing, or I really need to confess this thing, or I need to ask for prayer so I can move away from this thing or move towards this thing, like let's ask for forgiveness over this. Wherever you are today, is God pressing you right now saying, hey, Take a step of faith. Trust me, you don't have to fight this thing alone. If you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. That's what we're hearing this morning. If you hear him, if you feel him trying to lead you, then that's him standing at the front door and inviting you into his home, this place for your soul to rest and finally find satisfaction. Today, if we hear his voice, let's not ignore it. Because in the end, God is trying to take you into deeper joy and rest than you can ever imagine. And look, I'm not so insincere or oblivious to the fact that I realize that some people in here might be stuck in some serious junk right now. So much so that this reality is difficult to believe that you could ever get out of it and find rest. 
Because I think everything inside of you right now might be telling you that the worst possible thing that I can do is deal with my junk. The worst possible thing I can do is confess. The worst possible thing I can do is ask for help because then maybe I'll get help and then I'll fail again and I just can't stand that feeling of failure. Or maybe if I confess, others will then know that I don't have it all together. Um, Newsflash, none of us do. And can I just say on that as sort of an aside, like, if we've created an environment and a community where people are prone to think this way that I, that I can't confess or I can't be honest about my struggles or about my doubts, then I think we're really missing the mark as a community. The second we become a place where people are afraid to be fully known, despite what they've done or been through because they think they'll be looked down upon by others or judged or become the gossip of the community. The second we become a place like that is the moment we've forgotten the very grace that Jesus has for each of us. And so can we be a place that welcomes people to come as they are? And so this morning, if if you're hanging on to something That's a a really weighty place to live. And we're hearing that if you hear his voice, he's asking you to not harden your heart. And I really believe that this is the crossroads between Ecclesiastes 2 and God's people who are at the edge of the promised land. Will you put aside the pursuit of pleasure, safety, comfort as primary, take a step of faith across the river, face the giants in your life, whatever those things are for you, and enter his rest, or will you continue to wander and do it on your own? And if you do wander, like, like I believe God will still bless you and watch over you, and your life can still have some semblance of happiness and, and joy to a degree, but, but your ability to experience life to its fullest and experience true satisfaction and rest won't be found until you accept his invitation to come home. And and so with that said, I want to lay that reality on top of our text in Ecclesiastes chapter 2. And and so where we've been so far through two chapters is Solomon is basically going to summarize his entire experiment thus far. He's accumulated wealth like no one can ever imagine, fame, status, stuff, and yet his heart screams every single night that something still isn't right. If you flip to Ecclesiastes 2, we'll go back to the last verse of last week's text. Verse 23. Don't worry, I've, I've tested negative every single day this week. I got, a bad, I got a bad cold here, so I'm fighting this. Verse 23, last week's text. Solomon says, For all his days are full of sorrow, and his work is vexation. Even in the night, his heart does not rest. That's his realization to his whole experiment that I've accumulated everything that any, everyone on earth wants and I still am restless and dissatisfied. And really up until this point, Ecclesiastes has been asking two, two really big overarching questions and what he's going to do in these final verses of chapter two is begin to answer them. 
And so he's asking, is there an answer to how we get satisfaction and rest in life, or is it all hopeless? Is it all hopeless? Let's look at how he begins to answer this. Verse 24 of our text this morning. He says, there is nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also I saw is from the hand of God. For apart from him, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? So as he begins to respond to those two questions, is there any hope or is it all hopeless? His first part of the answer is kind of what he's already said, is that there's nothing intrinsic or natural within a person's soul that will allow them any lasting enjoyment anywhere on earth. There's nothing under the sun that will let them enjoy for a prolonged period of time any of his work, any of his toil, any of his food, any of his stuff. And the evidence is not just Solomon's life, but it's our lives as well. I think everyone, myself included in this, has at one point in time, maybe right now, lived in the mindset that what is finally going to satisfy me is more of what I already have. And what happens is nothing can fulfill that void of eternity in our hearts. And so we keep throwing all these temporary things in there again and again, and they don't work. They, they might work for a season. They might create an illusion that things are okay. But deep down, we're like Solomon at night when we say that we're restless and still not satisfied. And so Solomon's hammering this point home that there's nothing that's going to satisfy you, nothing on earth that will satisfy you for a lengthy period of time because the nature of everything on earth changes over time. Like, think about it. You get, you get a new phone. You get a new car, you get a new house, a new job, a new relationship, and you're like, yes, this is it, finally, this is what I needed. Then four months later, the, the new iPhone comes out, the 2023 model of that car. There's a new house down the street. Oh, who's that person over there? And we see this new thing, and now we're longing for that next new thing. Something is only new as long as it's still new. So he's hammering this idea home that there's nothing inside of us or within our own toil which will give us eternal enjoyment. Everything will eventually break down. Like even, even our marriages require effort and work to sustain romance and joy as it progresses. progresses. If we're just trying to live off of the honeymoon phase, like we're doomed. Right? It constantly needs to be worked at. It constantly has to be fought for, reignited. You've got to keep throwing logs on the fire again and again. Solomon says that nothing under the sun will sustain forever. You will get hungry again. You will have to cut your hair again. Your body will break down again. Nothing stays fixed. Everything breaks down. Whew, this guy needs a hug. But it's true. Look at our text again, verse 24. We'll focus more on the second part of this. There is nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also I saw is from the hand of God. 
For apart from him, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? And so what the scriptures just said is the answer to the problem that nothing is lasting when it comes to enjoyment is that lasting enjoyment is a gift that comes only through Jesus Christ. That's it. And here's the reality. God gives gifts to all people, whether you believe in him or not. You are um, living, you're breathing, walking, eating, wearing, enjoying. He gives gifts to all, like food, drink, family, friends, so that all people can have some semblance of an enjoyable life. This is, this is called common grace. He gives gifts to all, but what Solomon's saying is that only those who choose Jesus, who follow Jesus, receive the gift of lasting enjoyment. Why? How does this work? Well, for, for the follower of Jesus, and hear, hear me very carefully here, for the one who submits their life to Jesus, I'm not saying the one who attends church or, or the one who attends a bunch of Bible studies or the one who knows all of the words to every worship song. No, listen, the one who follows and trusts and puts their faith in Jesus your satisfaction is not tied to your earthly toil. And so you do not rise and fall based on the accumulation of earthly pleasures, but instead you have found treasure in him alone, and he is unchangeable, everlasting, and eternal. Amen. Yeah, amen. He's saying, if you make your primary pursuit anything other than Jesus, you're going to have frustrating returns. And surely life has taught us that. The fullness of joy and satisfaction comes through Jesus alone. Let's see how he uh, closes out this idea. Verse 26. He says, for to the one who pleases him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy. But to the sinner, he has given the business of gathering and collecting, only to give to one who pleases God. This also is vanity and a striving after the wind. So again, the first line there. To the one who pleases him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy. So let me ask, who gets lasting joy? Who gets fulfillment? The one who pleases God. And so that leads to, really, I think, the eternal, all-important question, what pleases God? And how you answer this is ultimately going to determine 
how much freedom you walk in versus how much dissatisfaction you walk in. And so what pleases God? Well, it's not complex. It's not a long list of religious do's and don'ts. Spoken or unspoken, I think we've overcomplicated this question and created all of these things that we think we need to tangibly do to please God. And if we don't do X, Y, Z, then God's going to be angry and frustrated with us. And if we do do them, then he's going to be happier with us. I think the problem with that is uh, it completely negates the cross of Christ. Because if righteousness could be obtained through our good works, then Jesus died for nothing. This isn't about us. It's all about Jesus. And so what pleases God? Are you ready? It's what the Israelites were lacking. Faith. Faith. And I get it. Faith is such like an ambiguous church word. Like, oh yeah, just gotta have faith. What do we mean by that? Faith is believing that God is there. Can I, can I make it more personal? Say it like this to yourself. Faith is believing that God is here and with me now. God is here. And everything... Everything comes from his hand. That means pleasures, joy, gladness, and even sorrow and struggle. And, and I know that that last part is hard. You'd prefer I left that out. Sometimes we'd rather attribute sorrow and struggle to the devil you know, but, but he doesn't have that ability. He's not a ruler who can give and take away as he pleases, but rather he's a pawn that always needs permission from God. And so has God caused your sorrow? Not exactly, but has he allowed it? Yeah. And we'll hit this a lot more next week, but, but everything that happens has gone through God's sovereign, eternal hands. And he has not, and he will not ever abandon you or let you endure it alone. Nor is your sorrow or your struggle about his wrath towards you, because that wrath was already poured out on Jesus on the cross. And so your sorrow, your suffering, it just might be the mercy of God in your life it really just might be the thing that God uses so that you would cling to him like your life depended on it. And I know that's a hard reality. Sorrow just might be the very thing that empowers you to believe that if I can get through this season, I can get through anything with God by my side. It just might be the thing that gives you the courage and confidence to cross the river, 
to face the giants in your life and trust that Jesus has you and he's better than your own plans. One of my favorite texts, 1 Peter 5.10, says, after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will, who? Himself. Not some angel, not some messenger, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. And I can't tell you what he means by a while, you know, a couple days, um, a, a few months, maybe years, decades. I don't know that. But, but I do know that the promise stands that he himself will restore you. And so we can trust him. We can have faith in him. When we remember his promises for us, we can begin to have enjoyment and rest even in the midst of sorrow. It's why the Apostle Paul said crazy things like, at times I was homeless and ate nothing, and at times I lived in a great house and had great food, and both were okay because I knew God had me. Or one of my favorites, the prophet Habakkuk said, whether the fields are just flushed with food or I have no idea where my next meal is coming from, it doesn't matter. I praise God because I know he knows what's best for me. Or how about Job, who, who had everything taken away from him, and he tears his clothes, and he says, Naked I came from my mother's womb. Naked will I return. The Lord gives. The Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. What an incredible amount of faith. And so today, if you hear his voice, He's saying, do not harden your heart because I'm trying to get you into that rest. I'm trying to fill that void in your heart that you've been filling with countless other things. I'm trying to get you to a place where you feel safe and loved regardless of what you've done or what you've been through. And you know what the great thing about Jesus and, and this house that he's created for our soul is? Is that Jesus just so happens to be in the adoption business. And he tends to love adopting from really dysfunctional, messy, dark homes. Like, just take a walk through the Bible. There's murderers, adulterers, denial, betrayal, prostitution. Like, there's plenty more. It seems like there's no sin or mess that is beyond his reach or beyond his invitation to come home. And so where do we go from here? Because 
I know collectively in this room right now, or if you're listening later, there's a multitude of things going on in our lives. And I'm not so ignorant to believe that it's as simple as, hey, you just got to have faith and everything's going to be better. I know it's not that simple. I know it's probably going to be a grind for some of you. Maybe you've been in a grind for years. Maybe it's obvious what you need to do. Like, God, you really did hear God's voice speak in you this morning, and you're in here, and you know that your soul has been unsettled of late. You feel restless, you feel weighty, and you're wondering how I could ever find rest. Well, I think a really beautiful first step would be to pray right where you are in your seat and just say, Jesus, I want my soul to be home. I want your comfort. And then from there, I would encourage you to, to grab you know, the person next to you or come up to the front for prayer and, and just tell them that you ask Jesus to help you find rest and have them pray for you for that. Maybe you confess that you've been chasing all kinds of things that, that aren't satisfying you. And maybe it's that you've been stuck in the desert for years and it feels like you'll never get out. Ask Jesus to help you. I'm not saying it will magically fix everything right away. I mean, it might. I believe God can do that. But at the very least, it will be a step towards that. And that's honestly a step closer than you were when you walked in here an hour ago. And maybe when you look back on this morning um, a year from now, five years from now, 10 years from now, you'll be able to say, I'm glad I heard Jesus that morning and took his invitation and I took that first step. Really, the, the worst thing we can do is nothing or, or turn around and, and just wander and try to figure it out on our own. The tragedy in that is you're really robbing yourself of joy and rest. And, and so maybe there's some repentance that needs to be done just right there in your seat as we go into a time of response, whether you're a Christian and have been for years, or this is your very first time at church and this is all new to you, whatever's on your heart, whatever you've done, whatever you've been through, you can bring it to Jesus and he will forgive you of that because he died in your place on the cross. Know that with confidence. And so if you hear his voice this morning, do not harden your heart. He's standing in the doorway, inviting you home. Let's pray. And so, God, we just, we thank you that we don't have to do this on our own. If it was up to us, I mean, surely, man, we would, we would fail again and again, but we thank you that you're with us and you love us and you're beside us and you're here. And so I just pray for great boldness and courage for my brothers and sisters in the room this morning that uh, you would just help us be honest about where we're at, what we've really been chasing, and just help us give it to you, Lord, and trust that you're better. We pray that we would live lives that are pleasing to you, 
not to try to just earn favor from you, not in some religious game, but no, just so that we would just have you and be able to experience you in a relationship with you, Jesus. So we just ask because you ask us to ask that you would increase our faith in you. We need you, Father. We love you. We pray these things in your beautiful name. Amen. Thank you for listening to Sermon Audio from The Shore Church. Feel free to share this audio with others, but please do not charge for it. Learn more about The Shore at www.theshorechurch.ca.